Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Good morning, everybody watching from home. Um, I'm really excited to be here this morning. Part of the reason I'm excited, though, is because Eric and I are so lucky that we've got two of our great friends from Adelaide here to visit us this morning. So we've got Jen and Lloyd. So these guys, just as I was about to hop up, they didn't realise I was speaking this morning. And they said, please tell me this is a church which which heckles the preacher. (laughs) So... If they start heckling me, we all know what to do, so we'll just remove them by the side door over there and leave them in the swamp, as is Taro's tradition, Taro's tradition. But in all due seriousness, these are some of our great friends. They welcomed us like you couldn't believe when we moved to Adelaide. They were wonderful, faithful, talented people, and so uh, come up and say good day to them after the service, but for right now, can we just give them all a big warm welcome, a big Taro's welcome? (laughs) Hopefully now they won't heckle, so excellent. (laughs) Now, I'm really excited because this morning we're doing week four of our series of the Division Timetable, and I've got to say, what an awesome series this has been, hey? This has been incredible for me. I've just found it so inspiring. I found it, uh, the different stories that we've heard and the different people that we've heard from just to be a really in- incredible series. And we started it four weeks ago by talking about Jesus. We talked about how history caused this incredible man called Jesus who definitely lived. There's so much historical evidence for the fact of his life. And the incredible thing about Jesus was the way in which he redefined what it meant to love one another. He redefined what it meant to love your neighbour. He redefined what love meant in every circumstance and in every context of our life. And he actually did it with this statement here, which he said in John 13. There we go. I was going to use the clicker, but for some reason the clicker wasn't working this morning, so um, it might take a touch longer. So Jesus said this, this is the last few moments of his life here on earth, the last few scenes of his story, and here he is talking to his disciples, his best friends, the 12 people that know him better than anybody else. And he says this, he says, a new command I give you. So it's not a suggestion, it's not a little extra thing to do on the to-do list, it's not in addition to everything else, but it's it's a new command I give you to love one another, to love one another. But then this is the incredible part. Because this is what Jesus does next is he then defines what that means. He defines what the standard of love is. He describes it and he illustrates and he sets a standard for what he means by this statement when we are to love one another because love is the conversation that we care most deeply about. It's what we get in fights about all the time in our families and in our workplace and in society. It's what makes us angry when someone's got a different definition of love to us. But we've all got those different definitions. But Jesus was very explicit in his definition. He says, love one another as I have loved you. That is how you must love one another. This is the man who, who broke through race classes to go speak to the Samaritans, who broke through, through socioeconomic barriers to have dinner with a, a tax collector, who broke through every single barrier that you could possibly think of to touch the lepers and the poor. and to, he, he just shattered all of that in order to love one another. He changed what it meant to love one another in a relationship for how we, do, how we communicate with one another, to speak simply and plainly. He did it with his honesty and his integrity, and he set a new standard for how we are to love one another. And the reality is, is that we're all here today because of that. We're all here today as evidence of the fact that Jesus started a movement 2,000 years ago based off the fact that he redefined what it was to love one another, to love your neighbour. It's pretty incredible. 
And the thing about Jesus' life, which is so inspiring to me, is that it's like this giant blip on the radar screen, right? He just disrupted history. When you think of the story of mankind, the story of humanity, all of a sudden, 2,000 years ago, we have this entire violent disruption. It's like this, this huge explosion of light around Jesus' life and, again, around how he defined love. And he uses this illustration of light all the time and he actually said that we have to be a light into the world. Uh, Kate, just real quick, I've seen lots of people already doing this, maybe we'll turn the aircon on. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, big round of applause for Katie, hey, yeah. Dion, I've got your back. <laughs> and so, uh, where were we? Yeah, Jesus asked us, he, he commanded us, he said, you ought to be light into the world. And Jesus said to us, he said, that we are to be known by our, who knows, we are to be known by our love for one another, right? He didn't say that as Jesus follows that we'll be known by our adherence to the laws of Moses. He didn't say that we'll be known by our attendance on a Sunday to a church service. But he said, if you're a Jesus follower, the way that you're going to be known is by the way in which you love one another. And the way that you love one another looks a little bit like this. And I just find that so incredibly inspiring. And I just think, wow, what could our world look like? Uh, last weekend, I had the great pleasure of going to a wedding. Who here loves going to weddings? So the great thing about this wedding was that um, Erica managed to steal this beautiful dress off one of her friends. I don't know if any of you guys saw this photo, but she was, she, we walk up to this wedding and she's looking gorgeous. She's got a, like a little baby bump out on show. And so we walk up all of her, she's here going, stop it. And so we walk up to this wedding and, and like about to have this great time and I'm feeling fine because Erica's looking fine and we're just having a great time. And then as we rock up to this wedding out at um, Quamby, we have this conversation. We're like, do you think we're going to know anybody here at this wedding? Because I, it was sort of like one of those looser connections, I suppose. And so we rock up and we walk down to the wedding lawn there and we're doing the, the, the quick look around to see how many people you know. And I look around and I say, maybe there's one, there's maybe two people that I know. And then all of a sudden, Erica just gives me this massive big elbow to the wrist, and I'm just like, buckle over. And she goes, it's Ruth! I'm like, what? And she's like, it's Ruth Overton! Ruth Overton's here! <laughs> and she makes this beeline for Ruth, and Ruth just turns around with this, this smile as wide as what you could possibly imagine. And she goes, oh, Erica, you look so beautiful! She didn't even notice I was there. Erica, you look so beautiful! And we're like, so after the initial welcome, we start to do the thing of, oh, Ruth, how do you know this couple? How do you know Kate and Dave? And well, she asked us that first, and I said, oh, you know, I used to play Dave, uh, soccer with Dave a long time ago. And Erica goes to the gym, she goes to Pilates with Kate. So that's how we know them, and that's how we form a relationship and got to come to this beautiful day today. And then we go, but Ruth, how did you end up here today? And wonderful Ruth. She described this story, and I might get some of these details wrong, because I was so shocked by the story, but she described this story about how she was working with, the, with, the, with the, the younger brother of the bride, okay, as part of her job in the schools. And she was working with him, and he's got disability, and he's got need for care. And then, not so long ago, uh, the father of the bride suddenly became very unwell, very quickly. And he deteriorated rapidly, and through this crisis moment in their life, Ruth sort of felt burdened by what was happening to them, and so she sort of reached out and she said, oh, look, guys... I feel so sorry for what's happening to you in your life. Let me know if there's any way in which I can serve you. Let me know if there's any way in which I can love you. And then over time, it sort of progressed, and so Ruth started to look after this young kid who needed that extra bit of care from time to time. Uh, take, this kid would come up to Gary and Ruth's place, and they'd look after him. 
that serve the family in that way so the family can do all that other stuff that needs to happen, so that the parents can have quality time together so they can do all these hard conversations, I suppose. And here she is, here's Ruth on the day of this beautiful wedding and the father has since passed away. And here's Ruth caring for this young kid and this young kid goes up to the groom and hands over the, the wedding ring so that the groom may marry his sister. And then Ruth's here to care for this young kid and then take him away for the rest of the night. And I was just amazed by this story because I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> In my world, I come across hurting people all the time. But how often do I jump forward to love like what Ruth did? And so when I hear stories of people like Ruth and Gary and the world around me, all of a sudden I see this illustration and this picture of what this new command that Jesus gave us was, to love one another as I have loved you. You know, I think Jesus would have looked exactly like what Ruth and Gary looked like that day. And it inspires me to no end. And I can't begin to imagine what our community might look like when we continue to grow individually and corporately into an army of Gary and Ruths that impact the world around us. But here's the problem, here's the villain to our story, here's the tension, here's the issue. The problem is, is that we all struggle and we all grapple with this because love and fear cannot coexist. Love and fear cannot cohabitate, they cannot coexist in the same space and that's the heart of the reason why we're doing this series on the, on the division timetable. Because what fear does, what anxiety does, it stops us from being able to love. It puts a wall between us and others. It, it makes us, instead of one another, it creates a them another. It creates us and them. On the micro level, it stops us from being able to do proximity, which is what the girls spoke about so beautifully last week. It stops us from being able to, to take that step that Ruth took that day and she said, how can I serve you? How can I ease your burden? How can I love you? Our fear and our anxiety of those moments and of the actual burden that comes with loving stops us from doing that. And so love gets cut off, love gets restricted, love gets bound, love gets captive. And on a macro level, it's horrible what happens. Because what fear does is, what, is fear forces us to paint people with a brush. It dehumanizes them, we strip them of their story and we strip them of their voice and we do it inherently all the time. It's part of being human. We start assigning labels, we write narratives, we write stereotypes and we assign it to people. But we heard that amazing story of Ahmed here the other week. How many labels and how many narratives in our community did he have to overcome just to have his story and his face shown? The fact that he was a Muslim kid, a refugee, a black African male. How many labels did he have to overcome just to be able to experience some of the love of a community like this? Fear does this thing where it builds a barrier and it builds a wall between you and me. Fear and love cannot cohabitate. And so the enemy to our story, to love one another as Jesus defined it, is fear because it causes a great division. Because, you see, we don't want anything to do with those groups in society that aren't like us. <laughs> you know, the LGBTIQ plus community, for instance. We don't understand it. We feel threatened by it. And so we put this wall up of fear and all of a sudden we become divided and love cannot flow. We do the same with refugees. We do the same with uh, political parties. We even do the same to Collingwood supporters. <laughs> That's, fair. That's fair. Yeah, maybe they don't have enough teeth. Sorry, Stephen Hardy, he's not here today, so I can absolutely rip into Collingwood, so. <laughs> but all, in all due seriousness, we walk down the street, we walk through the mall, and all of a sudden we come to the bus mall, and we see the youth on with their hoodies, and we get intimidated by it. And silently we judge it, and we think, just get a job, just be more respectful, that's the word, isn't it? Just be more respectful. And so we judge them, and we say, get a job, but we won't give them a job. 
or we at the school pickup or at the coffee shop or whatever, and there's that family that are from the other side of the tracks. You know, they walk and they talk a little bit different. And you've had too many cringe moments in the cafe with them, so all of a sudden you decide, you know what, I think next time I'll go to a different coffee shop. We create these divisions and these walls and these barriers all the time, and it stops love from being able to flow. And the great thing about Jesus' command and the life of Jesus is he broke through those and he shattered those, he disrupted those with his new definition of what it meant to love our neighbour. But this struggle to overcome our labels and our, our barriers, to overcome fear and division, it's not a new thing. You can pretty much describe a lot of the New Testament church in their grappling with what it meant to overcome their inherent prejudice and their systemic oppression, with, with grappling with that and uh, what it meant to love like what Jesus did. So there's a lot that we can learn from them, and so that's what I want to turn to this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from Galatians. Um, yeah, we might as well go straight there. Oh, by the way, I went up there to get this microphone just before, and guess who I happened to see on the sound desk in between uh, Michael, Ethan and Lyndon? I saw young Patrick up there. Let's give Patrick a big round of applause for his first day on the sound desk. And another one. <laughs> what a legend he is. All right, so a little bit of context for this, uh, for this part in Galatians we're going to be reading from. So Galatians are struggling, uh, they've got a, a dispute has broken out, there's a division that has occurred and Paul is inserting himself into the middle of this debate. You see, two groups are formed, there's the Jewish group and the Gentile group. The Jewish group which believed that um, Moses' laws and all the 600 other laws, they still count, they still matter. And then the Gentiles who think, no, nah, you know what, it's only faith in Jesus alone that matters. It's an interesting debate. I'm sure if we had that question opened up here, we'd, have a, we'd be surprised at the diverse range of answers. But the thing about these debates is that whilst it starts as intellectual or philosophical, it never remains that way. It always has real-world implications, and so it was in this story. See, what happened was that these Jews that believed that all the rest of it still applied, they were inherently bought into that because it was their way of life. Imagine being told that, you know, even though Jesus can't... Had, has come, all of this stuff still matters. All of this stuff doesn't matter anymore. And so, the very fabric of your society, the very tradition, the very way that your families are structured, your economy is structured, the, the classes, everything that you've brought your whole life into, the whole framework of your life, you're all of a sudden told, nah, that doesn't matter any longer. So, no wonder the Jews got protective around the life of Jesus and what it might meant for their everyday life. But then the Gentiles, on the other hand, they received the love of Jesus and the good news about Jesus and they looked at the, the, Moses' laws and the 600 other commands, right? And they looked at that and they said, you know what, that is a gate that's too hard to pass through. That is too difficult for me to access God through that doorway. And so this dispute's broken out and these two groups have separated within the church and um, Paul inserts himself into the middle of it. But just pause for a moment, just... Picture the consequences of this moment in history. Because this moment in history happened time and time and time again throughout the New Testament church. We see it in, in Acts, we hear about it in Romans. It happens all the time. Can you imagine the implications of this moment? Jesus, the greatest event in human history has just occurred, the life and death of Jesus. People have encountered the love of Jesus for the very first time. All of a sudden, the, the temple system is broken. People have intimacy with God for the first time. The Holy Spirit has been poured out and a movement's begun which could just break through every class and racial barrier on earth. And we come to this crossroads moment where the church, where the Jewish community are gatekeepers of this event. 
Do they allow it to become outside of them to, the, to the, the scary old world, the unclean people like the Gentiles? Or do they keep the good news bound up within their little community? What do they do? Do they overcome that divide, that division, all those things that cause them to fear other races? The way that they ate different meats still than what we eat. The way that they wash their hands in different ways. They've got different traditions. They do different things with marriage. They do diff- all sorts of different things. So we come to this crossroads in the human history where there's two groups and they're debating on what do we do with the life of Jesus. And you know what? If they had decided the other option, none of us would be in this room today celebrating Christ. That's the stakes of what's at stake here. And so Paul inserts himself into the middle of this division and he writes this, Galatians 5 verse 13 and 15, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. So just pause there for a moment. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. What's he getting at there? He's getting at the fact that don't bind yourself to Moses' laws, to the old covenant, but similarly, don't bind yourself and use your freedom just to indulge in sin and become captive to sin. He's talking about how there's something in the middle there. But then he goes on, and I love the way that he puts an emphasis on the serve one another humbly in love, because what he does is brilliant. He juxtapositions serve with freedom. (laughs) In other words, what he's saying is, he's saying, use your freedom to love others, to serve others in the best way you possibly can. He juxtapositions freedom with serve. And then he goes on to say this. He says... Thank you. He says, <laughs> for the entire law, Ten Commandments, 600 other rules, is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He's paraphrasing Jesus' great command, which we looked at at the very beginning there. He's inserting himself into this dispute, and he's, he's saying, no, you know what, the gospel and the good news is for all. He's inserting a little bit of truth, but more than that, he's saying that this debate can't remain purely an intellectual one because simply providing truth in this situation is not enough. Because what happens is when we fear it and when we're divided, we're too scared to listen to the other side. We're too scared to take that step towards one another and to cross that great divide into love. And so what he's saying is, is that whilst there's a truth that you have to understand here about freedom and service and the entire law, the actual action step for you that you must take is the one that Jesus ascribed to you, which is to love your neighbor is yourself. And then he goes on and says this last little bit, and this bit is so weird. Straight after this, he says this weird, awkward warning, which just seems to come out of absolutely nowhere. I don't know if you've ever received one of those emails where it's like, great job, but oh, by the way, you blew your budget by like 50%. (laughs) Or it's like one of those passive-aggressive types of presents that you get that Erica gives me all the time, where it's like my birthday or whatever, and all of a sudden I get like laundry powder and pegs. It's like a little warning's been hidden in there or something like that. I'm only joking, but how weird is this? After talking about love, all of a sudden there's this random, weird, awkward warning that he's put here. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. What on earth is he going on about there? Why does he say this? If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. What he's hinting at is what we've been talking about all series long. And that is that whenever we put those divisions in our life, it always comes back to bite us. It always comes back to hurt us. There's always a pain and a consequence that happens in the future. Our division and our fear has a consequence. It just doesn't happen today, it happens tomorrow. 
That's why we've called this series the Division Timetable. If you bite and devour each other, if you make enemies with one another, if you cut each other off from the light of Christ, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. All series long, Sharon's been talking about how this division amongst us is like a bacteria, how fear is like a bacteria and how it grows in the dark and it grows legs. I think another way of describing it is, is that it's insidious. Our division is insidious. You see, it's sly, it's subtle, it grows, but it has a consequence. The Latin word for it means that it lies in wait and that it ambushes us. This is what happens with our, our fear and our division. That's what we saw in that, do you remember that documentary in week one with, with the Middle East? We saw that when there was fear and division as a result of that September 11 day, all of a sudden an entire country and an entire people group got persecuted. And as that fear and that division went up, all sorts of different things grew in the dark. And all of a sudden now the consequences are ISIS in the Middle East. And you see the, the extreme nationalism in the US. Fear and division is insidious and it grows and there's always a consequence. And so if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Charles Spurgeon had this incredible quote. He was writing about this very same topic in this very same moment in Paul's letter. And he writes this. I want you to close your eyes because he uses some beautiful imagery to help illustrate this. Just picture the scene. This is how he describes the enemy of division here. He says, In the, in the gardens of Hampton Court, you'll see many trees entirely vanquished and well nigh strangled by huge coils of ivy, which are wound about them like snakes. There is no untwisting the folds. They're too giant-like and fast fixed. And every hour, the rootlets of the climber are sucking the life out of the unhappy tree. Yet there was a day when the ivy was a tiny aspirant, only asking a little aid in climbing. Had it been denied then, the tree had never become its victim. But by degrees, the humbling... The humble weakling grew in strength and arrogance, and at last it assumed the mastery, and the tall tree became the prey of the creeping, insinuating destroyer. I love that picture. You're welcome to open your eyes again. I love that picture because it talks about how our fear and our division start as this tiny little thing in the back of our lives, and often we don't even notice it, but over time they've got complex and serious consequences for, for others, but also for me. You see, what happens is that we're supposed to be this light, the love of Christ, as we love one another and the world around us. This is what we're supposed to be, but this disease of division is so insidious, it sneaks up within each and every single one of us. It happens all the time. And the consequences are so dire and they're so dark and they happen to each and every single one of us. You see, even Saul knew something about this because, sorry, even Paul knew something about this. Because earlier in the letter, Paul had seen something very similar. He referred to a different event, which is similar but different. I'm sorry, just let me have your attention. So what, what Paul wrote about was an incident which happened to one of the super apostles. The same thing but different. You see, Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles and he would eat with them and he'd, he'd be with them and he'd do community with them. But all of a sudden, some of the Jews started to arrive in town, and so Peter started to draw back. He started to withdraw himself from community. 
he started to say, no, they're unclean because they've got this different belief about them. I'm different from them. I want to be divided away from them. Peter started to withdraw himself back and this is the duplicity of fellowship which happens to each and every single one of us. Even Peter. Even Peter. And so Paul calls out Peter and he calls out this poor behaviour, this division, this, this action of fear which has happened within him. And that sparks this movement throughout the world which has sparked this letter here too. And so my, as I see it, if even Peter... If even Peter can succumb to this, then so too do we. You look at at Paul even. His former life is Saul. He obeyed all ten commandments with a great zeal and a great energy and a great passion for it. And yet he was still the chief of racists. It wasn't until he decided to follow Jesus' way of love that he was able to overcome this division, which is insidious. So what happens is that every time that you and I become fearful of something, instead of this light of Christ illuminating the world around us, we start to build a wall brick by brick. So that LGBTIQ plus community that I don't understand, that I feel threatened by, I put a little bit of division up, but that fear grows, that ivy grows. As I'm consumed and afraid of those Muslims, right? Those Muslims who don't live like what I do, who don't believe in the same things I believe. And so I start to build another brick in the wall here too. That family that speaks a little bit differently, that are from a different socioeconomic background, as they start to threaten me with their way of life and as I start to hear some of their language and I start to see some of the trauma in their community, I start to get a little bit more fearful yet again and I start to build more bricks in my wall. That tribalism that happens with our political views as we start to talk about global warming or immigration or as we start to talk about freedom of speech... I start to become fearful of the other side and so I start to build yet another brick in my wall. I see those young people, I see those old people, I see those people that aren't anything like me and I start to build more and more and more bricks in my wall until eventually the light is shut out. Is it any wonder that those people in some of those communities describe their world as being so dark? Is it any wonder that they're so angry with us as the church for shutting them out and saying that you're not worthy? This division is insidious It's within each and every single one of us and it's not the definition of love that Jesus called us to. Jesus called us to something far greater. You see, whilst division is insidious, love is miraculous. This way of love has won for 2,000 years and it will continue to win. Love is miraculous. So church, we've got an opportunity and we've got a choice. Are we going to choose fear Or are we going to choose love? Because love and fear cannot coexist. So what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to be enslaved by the the insidious nature of fear and division? Or are we going to choose love? You know, this has impacted our youth group. One of the most disheartening things that has happened in the last 18 months, 24 months, is that as we've come into contact with some amazing youth, and there have been some messy moments... Some of the Christian community in the wider Christian community sense have started gossiping and talking and spreading rumours about some of these kids and what they do is they're fearful of the everyday kid. They're fearful of some of the issues of the one in four that have mental ill health or whatever the statistic is around drug and alcohol. They're fearful of that. And so rumours and fear start to sprout. It's like ivy that climbs around that tree. It's insidious. 
And they start to remove little Johnny or little Becky or whoever it is from the youth group. And that light of Christ to the world grows dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Those poor people groups, the world becomes darker and darker and darker. Late last year, I got this amazing message from this, um, from this dad. He said, can I bring my, my son along to youth group? Just so you know, he's got, um, he's got a disability, so he's got uh, a developmental disability, so he's quite young in his thinking. He's got A, B, C and D, which explains all of his erratic behaviours. He doesn't have any friends. We're not Christian, but he just needs a place to, to be. I'm not expecting that he's going to be able to last the full two hours of youth programs. We'll stay in the area, and if there's any problems, I'll come in and I'll sweep in and I'll just pick him up straight away. Oh, and by the way, um, he always talks about demons. <laughs> he, he goes on, I think it's just something that he's picked up from some YouTube show. But just so you know, I'm like, yeah, no worries, that's fine. And me being the great leader that I am, the great communicator that I am, I totally forgot to tell my team all about this kid. And so, <laughs> and so he, this kid rocks up at youth group. And this night we had Amber, wonderful Amber McKenzie, who was here with us last year and the year before and stuff. And um, Amber, it was her first night serving at youth group. And so she's just come out of uh, WEC. So she's coming out of a, a Bible training school. So she's hypersensitive to, the, to spiritual language, right? And so the first kid that she just happens to connect with and happens to meet happens to be this young boy. And what do you think the first thing that comes out of his mouth is? It's about demons. <laughs> and I can imagine, without putting words in Amber's mouth, I can imagine her encountering this young kid and all of a sudden all that background of the spiritual language in the safe bubble of a Bible school, talking about demons and all this sort of stuff. I can imagine the fear must have been immense and the anxiety must have been immense and she could have just gone, you know what? I can disengage from this kid and I can find someone else and no one will ever know. Or she could have gone, you know what, this is weird, I'm just going to do the Bible school thing, I'm going to pin you to the ground, I'm just going to pray for you until something happens. But she didn't do either. For the rest of the night, she just made it her mission to uh, become best friends with this young boy. At the end of term, Amber had since moved um, interstate because she's moving on with her uh, in pursuit of her ministry, which is awesome to see. But this young boy came up to me and he goes, where's the girl I like? <laughs> it, was the most, it was the cutest moment. And anyway, fast forward a little bit to the, um, to the summer camp. This kid came on one of the tickets that you guys sponsored. He came to camp and his parents couldn't believe that he'd be able to go to a camp because he'd never been to a camp before. So they thought there was no chance, no way at all that this kid's going to be able to stay at camp. I get this message on the bus on the way back after camp. And the parents are like, all your volunteers deserve a medal of honour for being able to put up with him for four days. Oh, I feel like I'm about to cry, Kate. I told this story to Davo the other day and I couldn't, you know, every time I tell it, I start crying. So this kid, no Christian background, comes in this camp and he has that God experience that we hope that every person encounters. That moment of after the worship, they're just struck by the enormity of God and the fact that he loves them so, so much. So here's this kid sitting at the back of the room, just sobbing, just crying, just the most guttural cry you could imagine. You see, this kid at school, he's got no friends. He's, the boys at his school say, look, you can hang out with us today if you hurt yourself. This kid goes to school every day and he hears things like, go kill yourself. 
this kid has got no light of the world in front of him. He's not exposed to any of it. His world looks so dark because people are afraid of him because he's a little bit different and he talks about weird things. And so there at that night, as he's sobbing his heart out, all he wanted, his one request to God was just for a friend. Not lots of friends, just a friend. He just wanted to know he belonged. And we pray for him and he just sobs and he cries as I'm doing. As he encountered the great belonging that Christ calls us to, that he invites us to belong in. And then the next day I'm walking with him and we're coming around the corner. And he says to me, he says, Oh, Jono, I don't have any friends. And I said, and as we're coming around the corner, I said, Yeah, of course we do, mate. I'm your friend. You've got lots of friends. And we come around the corner. And there just happens, it's one of those perfect moments, those God-ordained moments. And there's a, a group of Tauros kids there. And he comes around the corner, all of a sudden, for some reason, they just stop what they're doing. And they turn and they look at him and they've just got these beaming smiles. And they just say, hi, you know, whatever his name is. And then he just looks up to me with this huge grin on his face and he goes, oh, I do have friends. But you know what, Amber inspires me. Alex Rowe spent so much time with this kid. He inspires me because what they did is they didn't continue to put that wall up between him and this young kid. They didn't let him stay in the darkness because he's got no exposure to the light, which is the love of Christ. They didn't allow the insidious nature of division and fear to prevent them from loving someone else. Instead, they became the hands and feet of Jesus and said, you know what, I'm going to choose love over fear. And they love this kid so well and they inspire me. People like Ruth Overton inspire me. And so our, our challenge, church, is what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose fear, which leads to division, or are we going to choose love? There's a great line from that documentary in that first week where the, 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 the man in it says, I jump forward to love you. I jump forward to trust you even before you trust me. I jump forward to love you before you've done anything that's worth being loved for. Even, even as you might hurt me, I jump forward. That's what Amber McKenzie did at Youth Group that night. That's what Alex Rowe did week after week with this kid that didn't have any friends. That's what Ruth Overton did. They jumped forward to love you. They jumped forward to be the hands and feet of Christ. And my question for us, church, is what are we going to choose? Do we choose fear or do we choose love? Because they cannot cohabitate. And what happens is that as you choose love and as you choose love and as I choose love, and as I step towards those youth in the bus mall who don't think that anyone likes them, the world gets a tiny bit brighter. And as I step forward towards those people of the different political party who've got that tribalistic, I must be right, you must be wrong type worldview, and if I can step past that and not always have to be right, but rather just choose love, the world might become that little bit lighter yet again. As I step towards those refugees and realize that perhaps they aren't just all bringers of doom. <laughs> Maybe that world becomes that little bit light to yet again. As I step towards that family from the suburb that's different to my own. Maybe the world can become a little bit brighter yet again through the love of Christ. As I move these bricks, as I move this wall of division, 
the world becomes so much brighter. And so my challenge and my question for us is what do we choose? Because the groups that you're fearful of, they, they will end up devouring you. They'll end up hurting you because their world is so dark. But instead, let us choose love. Why don't we all stand? We're going to join in with the team in a moment. John 4 verse 18, I'm going to read this out. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, but the one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. You know what? When I don't feel like I can love because it's too scary and too fearful, Jesus can. Jesus has and Jesus will. Jesus makes us perfect. He's per- he makes us complete when we choose to step out in His ways with Him. So can I invite us now, as the band play, can I invite us to choose love? Can I invite us not to choose fear and be enslaved by the insidious nature of division, but instead, let's choose love. Let's love like what Jesus loves. Heavenly Father, I just want to invite you into this place. I just thank you for who you are in Christ. I just pray that each and every single heart and mind might just be touched by you today. I pray that there might be a move of the Spirit in people's hearts and minds, that some of those feelings of fear and anxiety about others might disappear. Instead of them another, we might do one another. Instead of our crowd in crowd, there might just be your crowd, Jesus Christ. I pray that our community might be changed, but even more than that, I just pray that our hearts might be changed and more reflect yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.